Welcome to the Ignite Agility Podcast. Here's your host, Angela Johnson. Our focus this month is the Scrum Master. Our guest for Collaborative Leadership Team today is Michael James of the Seattle Scrum Company. Thanks for being here, MJ. Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit about you and um, what you do in the Scrum community? Clients have been working with the past couple of years. It's um, you know, 400 people spread out around the world, and they're, they're inching their way, or uh, that'd be exaggerating, maybe millimeter would be a better description, to, towards agility. They're, they're making their way uh, towards it with uh, lots of setbacks and the usual stuff that you expect. So one of the things that I do is teach certified Scrum Master classes, and you teach those classes as well. Uh, when I was coming through the ring to be a certified Scrum trainer and co-training with you, you know, clearly you've been doing this much longer than I have. What mistake do you see new Scrum Masters continually make in your experience? Uh, the biggest one... Um, I'm reframing a little bit to what the organizations do because I, I think it's a mistake to think that the scrum master of a team uh, can do this all by herself. Nowadays, I'm starting engagements with an informed consent discussion uh, with management. We want to have a conversation with the, so that everyone understands the, there are some major implications of what we're doing. This isn't something you can plug in at a team level. So I guess the mistake would be uh, fo thinking that their focus is just on the team and um, doing too much at the team level uh, that would impede the team's self-organization. What kinds of things would a scrum master do that would impede that, that ability for the team to self-organize? Uh, there's a lot of things that I, I want them to learn to do uh, themselves. And the, the focus will shift over time. So in the beginning, uh, maybe it'd be appropriate for the Scrum Master to show people how to use a task board and to um, uh, help them hand draw a burn down chart if they want to use a burn down chart. Uh, the, the coordination with other teams, I, I think that that's a big issue. You know, as long as uh, people are expecting someone else to do these things for them, they won't step up and, and start doing them themselves. And so, uh, assuming the organization is willing to invest in teams, and it will take time, I'm talking about months of investment before, uh, and they may be, things may be worse for some of that time uh, before we get a real team. Uh, the Scrum Masters, I think, should step back uh, from helping the teams with the things that teams are supposed to be doing, uh, which include, uh, I guess, in particular, the, the collaboration with other teams, other departments, that's a big part of it. Okay. And one of the things you mentioned right out of the gate here was a leadership conversation in which you called it informed consent. Can you say more about what goes into an informed consent conversation with leadership? Um, well, we want to be really clear that uh, the way I learned Scrum from, from Ken, anyway, from Ken Schwaber, was Scrum is not uh, a silver bullet that solves problems. It, it's a, more like a mirror that brings your problems to the surface. Not everyone's ready for that when they think that they're going to jump on the agile bandwagon. Uh, recently, I had a real rare experience. Now, most of the managers, most of the places that I've worked with have been really great. Uh, I recently had an exceptional experience where uh, during the, the training, 
it came to light that uh, some 25 people didn't know what the vision was for the work that they were doing, didn't know oh. the company vision at all. And then um, uh, so met with the CEO, discussed this with her, and she was just shocked. Uh, she was quite um, astounded at this because she told me what the vision was, and it was, a, it was a good one. It was really clear and crisp. And she was, uh, her heart was broken that, uh, that this wasn't making it to the, to the frontline workers. And, uh, of course, middle management was, uh, was embarrassed by that. They asked me not to do that next time, not to uh, uh, allow the session to go into uh, organizational impediments, which is the opposite of what Ken Schwaber taught me to do with these trainings. Uh, so that doesn't happen very often. With my main client, uh, he's actually going as a senior uh, VP in the organization, a highly ranked executive. And he goes to most of the trainings, whatever country they're in. Uh, he's there to listen to the issues that the, uh, that the, the people doing the work will bring up. And so I, I guess that's another, bringing it back to the theme, um, I'm not expecting the Scrum Master to make things go more smoothly. That's not how I see the role. I, I think it's more about... Uh, bringing transparency, which um, will, and sometimes that means that it'll be uncomfortable. And most new Scrum Masters, as you mentioned, tend to focus on the development team. And to your point, that might be needed when everybody's new. But given that two-thirds of the Scrum Master's job is around service to the product owner and service to the organization, is there anything that you would call out that is more helpful for organizations or to get leadership to understand why service to the product owner and to the greater company is so important for the Scrum Master to be involved in? Well, I was just uh, a few minutes ago I was having a Twitter conversation with some people. Uh, one, I'm a fan of a guy named John Cutler, and he had pointed out if you step back uh, far enough from the organization, you will see a waterfall. No one explicitly says that we do a waterfall. It's not something anyone would, would brag about. Uh, but if you step back far enough, then it, in a big picture, it does look like a, a waterfall. And the perceptive Scrum Masters, are, are, I believe they're looking at the whole business and the whole organization. Uh, when, so this goes beyond what people usually think of as uh, developers, I guess. And that, that word, I think, is, is uh, causing... It may be causing people to underestimate the amount of cross-functionality that we're looking for in a Scrum team. You mean the phrase development team? Yeah, well, the phrase development team and, yeah, and, and the word developer that, we, that we've been using. Uh, I extend it a, a little more, uh, sometimes product developer. Uh, is more clear that, that we're talking about not only people who would be typing code, uh, but we're talking about you know, people with domain expert, the uh, people with user interface expertise, uh, people, um, what did I forget? You know, we, we're looking for these, uh, a team to directly connect with uh, the customer there. You might have noticed in the um, video I just made, I've been, and I'm going to start doing this some more. I'm depicting the Scrum Master as a ghost. Somebody asked me about that. They said, why is Michael James using a ghost to <laughs> illustrate the Scrum Master? So tell, tell everybody why you're choosing a ghost. Um, I'm still, uh, somehow intuitively, it seems like the, the right thing. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure why I do everything that I do. But uh, I will say we're looking for the Scrum Master and for, for management uh, to be in an agile organization, uh, those people are operating on a different plane than the, the people doing the work. 
And when it's going right, if, if we're doing this properly, the scrum master, the managers are going to be able to walk away for, for a week and maybe no one will even notice that they were gone. You know, maybe they will go uh, to a conference to learn more about how to do this better. Because we're trying to move the operational stuff right into the hands of the people doing the work. So that's, that's one aspect of it. A ghost, you, you don't see them all the time. Right. Uh, uh, and when things are going badly, well, then you might see a ghost. And so, you know, among the tools a Scrum Master has, the very bottom of the toolkit, uh, I would say, is the, the interruption or the intervention. Uh, but I'm going to suggest more of it has to do with creating the environment where these things will work properly, where these things will work naturally, not being so visible uh, most of the time. But yeah, occasionally the Scrum Master does have to interrupt and intervene. So then you will sometimes see a ghost. Mm -hmm. So on the organizational side of things, um, I was having a conversation with one of my graduates yesterday who said that, you know, things continue to go great. We're using Scrum, but we still have no Scrum Master. And I, I found that hard to believe. And I said, how can you say you're using Scrum then to the, the fullest extent or that you're seeing some of these benefits because you don't have your coach, you don't have your Scrum Master. And he mm. said that leadership cannot justify the expense. Leadership mm. isn't willing to have that kind of overhead. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's come up a lot. I, I think part of the idea... As when we uh, as scrum, as we describe it in the scrum guide, is is ninety percent of the scrum, or ninety five percent of the scrum guide is focused on the team, single team situation. And I had that uh, in you know when I started doing scrum, what was the unicorn that actually had a, a single team company? But the places I'm working with aren't like that, and so the single team uh, description uh, isn't always. Uh, helping them figure out how to do this at the scale that they are. I would rather have, and if we can't justify, or if management, someone says we can't justify having a, a full-time Scrum Master per team. Uh, well, first off, they don't, I mean, even mostly you know, organizations don't know how much time people are stuck getting work done uh, or how much work is is thrown away is, uh, you know, large batches with when all the delays that are caused by that. So they don't actually know where people are spending their time anyway. But let's, um, take that and say, okay, if you can only afford a third of a Scrum Master per team, uh, maybe you could afford one dedicated Scrum Master for three teams. Right. And then at least they would have somebody checking in or making sure they weren't falling back into old habits. Uh, and truly I suggest that the reason, yeah, the problem with sharing, and I've tried to do this as a shared, um, I think we talked about this before, actually. I, I tried to, to share the role, like I'm, I'm a 70% developer and 30% Scrum Master. And that the problem is that, that it, when things, some of the things a Scrum Master is asked to do, as far as the organizational transformation, um, and, or even at the team level, are uncomfortable. And uh, I'm usually going to go to what I'm comfortable with. So if I'm a programmer, for instance, I'm going to that uh, development work. And the development work does always tend to take up more work time than it looks like initially. And so we'll, we will have uh, no Scrum Masters. Now, that said, there are some places where the Scrum Master role is being done so badly that I might prefer they have no Scrum Master <laughs> at, at the right. team level. Ideal number. Now, and then in the Scrum Master checklist, I... I remember writing that, that you know, a great scrum master can handle one team at a time. And then uh, seeing what they're doing, it's like, well, maybe uh, a great team uh, 
is more likely to happen if we, we don't have some of the Scrum Mastering that I've seen. So you mentioned the Scrum Master Checklist. One of the things I wanted you to share with our listeners um, that was news to me the last time you and I were able to talk about this in Seattle was actually how that checklist came about. Um, you know, trainers such as myself refer to it. I refer to it in my Scrum Master class when people say, what could a Scrum Master possibly do all day? I said, well, you really need to check out the Scrum Master checklist. How how did you wind up developing that? I'm, I'm thinking the first version was 2004 or sometime like that. And uh, it's early in my coaching career. And what had happened was we had a company that was doing Scrum pretty well. And we, we kind of stumbled into helping other companies do it. And uh, Ken Schwaber got wind of what we were doing and, and took a look at it and really, really liked it. And so um, uh, Ken was always uh, kind to, to me and our company. And he, he, had, he threw us uh, a lead that he didn't have time to handle himself. And it was an online store, which is in California, which is still, um, it's still a major online store. And uh, so I went there, you know, thinking, oh, I'm just going to make Scrum work the way it worked in our tiny company. Uh, not really understanding the larger system dynamics yet, and uh, worked with them for for weeks. And one of the scrum masters you know, told me later on she didn't know what she was supposed to do. Uh, she thought she was supposed to just organize meetings or uh, help, you know, help mediate conflicts or something. And there just wasn't, um, you know, as far as she could tell, that was nothing for her to do. After having spent weeks in that company, I just listed, or that, that department, I'll call it, um, I just made a list of all the problems that I saw in that particular instance. And so it was just meant to be an example. It was just one um, sample of what I was seeing at one place. And when I put that online, I, I was surprised how quickly it, it went viral. As uh, apparently I'd, I'd stumbled on something or some common things that uh, a lot of people were were struggling with in their own organization. But it was always meant to be just an example. And uh, I think the title should still say that, an example Scrum Master checklist. So this is an example list of things uh, that I would want that I would want a Scrum Master to be paying attention to. Things at the team level, things with the product owner, things with the organization, and also things with the, the development practices, the, the technical practices that they were using. And when I heard you tell that story in the advanced certified Scrum Master course that we had in Seattle, one of the things that resonated, I think, in you telling it was that some of these problems may seem like they were an example or in a particular instance, but they're pretty universal. I mean, even some of the case studies, you know, that we share the Scrum Master files, our mm. team calls them, people will swear that we're talking about their company. Oh, yeah. That, you know, yeah. Even though they're completely anonymous and no, that's not your company, but, <laughs> but they just seem so universal. That's something I've enjoyed talking to other coaches or hearing them talk to each other. Uh, you, many times you could substitute any company name and it's the same, I'll use the word stuff, the, the same stuff that they, that they have, which is why it was, uh, <laughs> this recent experience was uh, so shocking where the middle managers actually wanted to, to cover up that uh, their employees didn't know what the vision was that had been set by the CEO. So in all your years of doing this, you know, be it the Scrum Master Checklist or be it holding CSMs or coaching a new client, is there any question you tire of hearing regarding the Scrum Master? 
And if I stated it another way, I guess I would say, is there anything that we should know by now about the Scrum Master? Um, that seems like people just aren't understanding. I'm not think of any way to answer that. Uh, the questions about what to do in the organization are, are usually interesting. Well, let, let's say, uh, yeah, I guess I'm tired of hearing about uh, estimates and burn down charts. Yeah, the administrivia. Uh, yeah, which, yeah. And, and I'll suggest if we are doing the agile stuff right, and, but that, those, this is one of the ways you can gauge um, the sophistication of a client that's approaching you for help. Uh, if they say, yeah, everything would be great if we could just get our estimates right, you can tell that they're, well, they're probably about first graders at this uh, because it, it's never a problem with estimation. It, it's a problem with doing the highest value work. It's a problem with using technical practices that keep us in a shippable state all the time. It's a problem with the team collaborating with the, the business uh, to make sure that we can extract the, the small, uh, you, know, you know, the small, you know, cherry pick the high value stories, prioritization, uh, teams working with each other so that they have an integrated product all the time. Uh, so continuous, continuous integration it's problems with that problems with collaboration in the team across team boundaries across time zones it's not estimates and then the burn downs of the other it, it i think it's i guess uh the sprint burn down chart for instance seemed like a good idea it was in the scrum guide once uh was in the early descriptions of scrum uh in most of the cases i'm seeing it cause more harm than good and uh, it really, if we were using this in the longest way, we would see it bounce up and down, just like a, um, you know, at that level, down at the task level. Mm -hmm. uh, look at a particle under a microscope, and you see something called Brownian motion. You see the, the chaos. And Scrum, as I always saw, it was chaos in a box. And don't look inside the box if you don't want to see chaos, because it's right. the team, you know, getting their work done, figuring out seven ways that don't work, and finally an eighth way that does. Uh, that's the inventiveness that we're looking for on a, on a creative self-organizing team. And if you're expecting it to follow Newton's laws of motions, then um, I don't know. Maybe that, that means you need to spend more time in the Gemba doing the actual creative work, focusing a bit less on the things that on status report kinds of things like the, like the burn down chart. So to turn that question around, is there anything that you like regarding scrum mastery or what's your favorite aspect of the scrum master role? Um, my favorite thing is to get in with real companies. So I, I do um, the, the public classes uh, sometimes it hasn't been the main thing that I've been doing. Uh, I, I guess being in a real company and seeing what they're doing uh, I like to observe uh, a recent experience, uh, um, you know, watching the, the Scrum Master do their coaching in an organization, in a team situation. And then, uh, and I prefer not to intervene uh, during those sessions. And then afterwards, uh, having a conversation about, with her about uh, what, uh, what was going on with her as she was doing that and in offering some, some additional tools. Uh, I will say that the retrospective and the overall retrospective are times when I'm, I, I get especially excited uh, when I see people learning how to work with each other, how to work with teams, uh, seeing, beginning to see the abstract principles in, in their concrete reality. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So in this um, conversation, we have mentioned the Scrum Master Checklist. Is that available at scrummasterchecklist.org? It certainly is. That's the right yeah. URL. A available. dozen languages. Yeah, a lot of different languages. And if you're interested in um, more about Michael James' company, can you let people know how to find Seattle Scrum Company? Um it, we're, we're, we hide. You can't find us. <laughs> we'll find you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we're not, marketing isn't really something we've been that good at. Most of it's been kind of word of mouth. But we, have a, we do have a website, uh, seattlescrum.com. Seattlescrum.com. Great. For a collaborative leadership team, you can find us at coleadteam.com. And uh, we focus here in the upper Midwest, but we um, appreciate our friend Michael James from the Pacific Northwest in joining us today to share more about the Scrum Master Checklist and the Scrum Master Role. Thanks for being here today, MJ. Hey, thanks for having me.